Hi there, I'm Maria Van Buchlis and this is the Think Tank Podcast. Together we'll dive deep on world-class business strategy, alignment, self-expression and self-mastery to help you grow your income and impact in the world. I trust that you'll find this episode inspirational and empowering for you to get out there and go for it. So let's get straight into it. Welcome to this episode, Angie. Thank you, Maria. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's so so interesting because when you say, you know, stop and take a breath, one of the first things that we think about, I know when in, in a high pressure, high pressure situation, when someone's like, oh, just breathe or just stop, take a breath. You just like, for me, my experience was like, I want to punch you in the face because I'm like, you know, I'm you know, struggling here. So it, it's, it's really interesting. Cause it's like, once, once I, uh, once you can kind of like learn to let go of that energy, you go, oh, oh yeah, I actually really do enjoy that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I guess it's about, um, you know, from what you've just mentioned in terms of stepping back into your own self, your conscious self when that things like that are happening. Yeah, yes. So, um, so Angie, tell us something about you that not many people know about. Oh, where do I start? <laughs> uh, um, I'm always an open book. So, you know, for me, I share sometimes maybe too much information. <laughs> But I think that that's like, I think that's great. And it's a part of being human. I think it's, um, and it's a rarity these days that people can share their human experiences and their lessons and learnings. Um, what, um, what most people don't know about me. Um, look, I mean, in the entertainment business, I, I was, I was a professional singer. So I, you know, got onto some pretty amazing singing gigs, including, um, the Pussycat Doll Show and on the, um, the, the 2007 Grammys, I sang back up for Norris Barkley. That was an awesome experience. So I don't really go and like, kind of like tell everybody all about my entertainment past, although it's a very pivotal time in my life because it was one of those things that had me realize that, you know, when I got out of the entertainment business and I moved to Australia because I fell in love, <laughs> is that um, one of the things that actually got in the way of my performance and in my career was anxiety. And I even remember like one of the, uh, there's a big choice point that I had when I was on the, the first season of the Pussycat Doll Show and I was doing my solo had the music going, the spotlight was there. I couldn't see anybody, couldn't see anything. And then all my senses kind of closed down. And I just went into like um, completely, not like blanked out, but like I went into kind of just follow the bouncing ball mode. And I fell behind with the timing of the music and started to feel anxious. And, and then after that, I was like, what just happened to me? It was like the biggest moment of my career and I just totally screwed it up. But in hindsight, you know, that was like 15 years ago. In hindsight, I realized that that wasn't actually my, um, that wasn't my path in life, not in this lifetime. You know, I wasn't meant to be on the stage, you know, dancing and singing and acting. I was actually meant to be doing something bigger and more meaningful with my life. At least for me, that's how I felt. And then when I came here to Australia, <clears throat> I definitely experienced a range of emotions as well. 
there was, you know, anxiety when I was interviewing for a new job and I didn't know anybody, you know, my whole world was literally upside down, you know, this Northern hemisphere to the Southern hemisphere. And then I, you know, getting married and then having babies, it was just like, who am I? And, you know, um, so, you know, it's, it, it, and I realized that it wasn't just anxiety on the stage. I had anxiety towards life and there was whole, uh, you know, unworthiness thing that was happening there. So, you know, I, I look at everything as a blessing and, and a stepping stone towards a bigger vision. Beautiful. Um, you mentioned anxiety and stress, and, and I'm sure there are many people out there that, um, would experience those certain feelings let's say but have their own labels as to what that might be in terms of stress per se so can you tell me why is breathing so effective in reducing stress with with your experience um you know coming from stressful environments and now working with breath mm. well you know up until i started making uh breathe like a breathing practice a highlight in my life I did a lot of work I spent probably about a good 15 years in the self-development space from from you know landmark education to NLP practitioner training to you know you name it I was like into it you know because I was always looking at how can I make this experience like heaven on earth and, and I went through all the headspace stuff and whilst it was amazing and I had some peak experiences and aha moments and, oh my goodness, I can't believe how I set myself up, you know, and all this, and it's, and I, it's very important. It still didn't interrupt and still didn't stop me from feeling angry and pissed off when someone triggered me. And uh, quite often, the under, getting better at the, the the mindset stuff was a double-edged sword for me because I ended suppress ended up suppressing a lot of that energy. So instead of lashing out, I would hold it all in, and what it it just made me very cranky. <laughs> in the long run and it was like you know I liken it to a pressure cooker where I would just feel the pressure would build and build and build and I couldn't hold it anymore and then I would just yell at Shane or at my little girls who were like four and one at the time you know and I just started to become a person who I did not recognize it was not I'm I'm, I'm always somebody who's happy and positive and I was really struggling and most people around me probably wouldn't know that I was struggling because I was so good at holding everything inside and portraying like I was happy. But when I got into the breathing side of things, it was like everything really did change because what I found is it's an, it, everything is energy. And when the energy gets stuck and suppressed, it'll come out in other ways. And, and that's how it was coming out in crankiness. So if we go to the science of it, when I hold my energy, there's a breathing pattern that goes along with that. So say for instance, I'll hold my breath. And I would quite often hold it on the exhale, which would have me feel very angry all the time. You know, if you imagine like holding your belly, holding your breath on the exhale, it creates an energy of, oh my God, you know, I am gonna blow. And, and, and I realized that that became a habit. And so the, this unconscious habit of holding my breath on the exhale made me very cranky and also influenced the blood pH and caused alarm bells in my thinking. And so then when I perceived a situation, I would make meaning out of it, usually in a threatening, fretful situation, and it would release chemical endorphins or in, into my body of like cortisol and stress. And then, you know, my results are, you know, I'm just, you know, 
completely blah all over my family. And therefore, you know, they're, they're, they're not getting a, a solid connection with their mom. And so when I really started deep diving into a breathing practice, I started releasing that energy. So instead of stuffing, I had a, an avenue of expressing, and it was almost like I was expressing myself through the breathing rhythms and getting into these states, um, altered states of consciousness, really, where instead of feeling angry, I was feeling very relaxed and almost like, you know, the, the thing that I was angry about didn't matter anymore. And the only thing that does matter is connection to my family. So over time, when I say over time, it only took like a month or two of practice regularly. And it was like, you know, the trigger would happen. The girls would, you know, not listen to me when we're trying to get out the door, you know, it could be very simple as not even finding the pin that I use all the time I can't find, you know, <laughs> just something trivial. And I noticed it was like my body forgot to be angry. My body forgot to be reactive. And what I realized that I had reprogrammed that breathing pattern of, of, of like unconsciously holding my breath to then create flow. So when I started catching myself feeling angry or boiling up inside, I'd go, oh, I'm doing that thing again. Well, let's do something different. And I would reprogram that. And then all of a sudden I became a much more pleasant person to be around. <laughs> and I could, you know, connect with my family rather than, you know, get angry with them. I could talk it through and educate them instead of force them to do what I want them to do. And it became a very different dynamic in the household. And 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 it became very enjoyable. And I'm like, how oh, interesting how you know one person can change the whole energy of a household. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I love how you explained how breath is a form of expressing the emotion like self-expression so mm. um being able to express yourself where people some people would say you know express yourself through your voice but having that idea of actually expressing yourself through your breath is quite powerful from what I've just um, taken from what you've said mm. Yeah, because when you can't find the words and the words that you can find are probably not the right words, <laughs> it's kind of better to express it through the breath, not using words, and then come back to a place where you can actually get the words that do reflect what you really do feel. Absolutely. Um, so there might be some listeners that might think that breathing is the same thing as meditation or meditation is the same thing as controlling your breath. So I'd love to hear your perspective in terms of what is the difference uh, with meditation, uh, using breath in meditation and just breathing, being conscious of your breathing on a day-to-day -day basis? Mm. Well, that's a really good question. So I'll preface my answer with every person's breathing is unique to them. It's like a thumbprint. And I'm pretty sure, you know, you might've heard that on, Sh on Shane's episode as well because what works for one person does not may not work for someone else so i can give advice on you know how it works for me but someone might go oh well, that doesn't work for me you know what's wrong with me so let me put that out there straight away breathing underpins meditation it is breathing is the lever to the personal energy in our body so say for instance my experience with meditation before I got into breath work was I'd go and sit down to do a meditation. I would come out more angry and pissed off than going into it because I'm like, I'm like, I, am I, am I, like, I've got things to do. I've got, you know, dinner to make. I've got like, what am I doing? Seeing here, doing nothing. And it actually drove me into anxiety. <laughs> 
which is interesting. Um, I'm pretty sure that some there's some people out there that might, you know, that might be an experience for them. So for me, it was a way to wrangle the energy and bring the energy down. So what I would do is I would go into a breath cycle that would connect with the energy of what I was feeling at that moment. So if I was feeling stressed out or I have a lot that I need to do and I didn't know how to voice it again, I would use the breath, the breathing, like expressing it through the breath. And for me, it was like in circles, which brings the energy up into a point where it matched the energy of my, the intensity that I was feeling. And then letting go of the breath and allowing myself to have a physiological experience of letting go. And then I was able to sink into a meditative state and then just let my breath go. So it was almost like I was, I was observing the breath first. And if the breath wasn't ready to get into a meditative state, I would then do the breath. I would consciously take over and do an intentional practice until I got to a point where I could let go and be the breath. And then that is where I would get into some deep meditative states. But it was like, that was my process. So, um, okay. So in term, that's in terms of meditation. So what mm. would one do on a day-to-day basis just with breathing itself? Mm. So for me, for me, it became the more I brought a, a, a deep conscious awareness to my every breath or in those moments where I'm like, huh, what's going on with me? Oh, what's my breathing doing? Oh my goodness. I'm holding my breath again. You know, it's just like when you can start bringing awareness to this, you can start doing something different with it. So I noticed that in times of like peak stress, I ran in, uh, was running events for a company in 2015 and we were just getting into breathing at this time. And then afterwards I was running my own business and then running my own business and running children around. And it was like, you know, there, I'm always doing something and very difficult to kind of like stop and not do anything. So what I realized is that I can breathe and create a breathing practice wherever I go. So what I've noticed is that like, even when I'm like making dinner in the kitchen and I'm starting to stress out because I'm like, oh, it's not done. It's not going to be done in time. It's getting late. I've got to do this because it's overboiling and, you know, like whatever, whether it's cooking or if it's in business, I realized that like I could, I, I would stress breathe where maybe I would just be like, I'd hold it and just get it done, hurry. And then, you know, my experience of it all is highly stressed, but I would start doing random practices like, um, and it would allow me to keep the energy flowing and then I could get into flow and then I felt like I was doing my getting everything done in a flow rather than a constant state of stress and it just changed the experience of the everyday breath and even when working on a computer because these days a lot of us are on the computer all the time I've got a stool where it moves around. So even though I'm working, if I notice I'm holding my breath, I'll just move my hips around and all of a sudden my breath changes. I start breathing better. Maybe I might take a bigger breath or maybe I might take a lower breath, you know, whichever one kind of feels more comfortable for me. So it's almost like once you learn the basic foundations of what you can do with your breath, when you notice that your breathing is taking energy away from you and not giving you energy, you can then go, oh, I'll do something else. And that's where, you know, sharing about you observe, you do it, and then you be it. And that's the same thing in motion. So when I'm running around, you know, either whether I'm working on the computer or running after children, if I'm observing, so it's not serving me, I'll then do the breath, change the pattern, 
And then I can be the breath and then get into a very different state moving forward. Love it. Love it. That's amazing. And I think there's a lot of women in business that can actually relate to that. They're looking after kids, looking after a household, running a business uh, and so forth. So um, you mentioned change in physiology. And what I'd love to know is how does one's breathing impact the nervous system? Because you talked about different hormones. You talked about it on a biochemical level. So I'd love to know how does it actually impact the nervous system? Mm. Well, primarily the main, the main conduit of sending messages is through the vagus nerve. And a long time ago, we all used to, it was believed that the brain is sending messages to the body. But, you know, in recent years, we found that the body is sending 80% of the messages up to the brain. The brain makes meaning of it, sends messages down to the body. So then here you have like a vicious cycle, say for instance, in, in, in the experience of anxiety, there's a trigger the body goes into an anxious sort of a breathing state in a bre anxious breathing pattern. It brings anxiety up in the body. The brain makes meaning of the anxiety and goes, oh, no, 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 no. And then starts sending messages to the body. And then it starts going red alert, red alert, red alert. So the breathing is the fastest way because to, to interrupt this pattern because it's both unconscious and conscious. And again, if you can observe the anxiety and the, um, the uh, reactivity or the sensations of the body, and you'll know it again. I'll come back to the. I'll come back to the. You know, everybody is different. Some per, some people, when cortisol is released, it's not good for them. Mm. But sometimes, when cortisol is released, it's good for them. Say, for instance, when you know, uh, when you're in sport, it's like the good stress and the 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 good stress and the bad stress. You know, cortisol does play um, a very unique game that cannot. It's not always bad. So if you know that your body is sensing that this is not a good place for you to be in, that's where you can change it. And it's through the, um, it's through the blood pH, which is the main, the main um, sort of lever for that is in the CO2. So mm -hmm. say for instance, if we are anxious or um, stressed out or driving in traffic, and then you notice you're observing that your body is sending signals to your brain that are red alert, and your brain's going red alert, red alert, you can, and you observe how you're breathing, it's usually you're breathing too much CO2 often. It's, it's a technical term is hypocapnia, mm -hmm. not enough CO2. When you don't have enough CO2, the oxygen cannot be transferred into the tissues and therefore allowing the effective community, the uh, effective oxygen flow. So say for instance, up in the brain if, and the brain scoops up 30% of the oxygen straight away. So say for instance, if you are going into that, like what happened to me that I mentioned before on stage, when you do experience an anxious thing, the brain will kind of shut down and you'll go into this fog foggy thinking and you cannot make rational decisions from there so we go into the reptilian part of the brain and we're just going to survival and we just do what you got to do to live but it doesn't serve a purpose around us so if you can use your breathing mechanism to balance out the co2 you balance out the ph in the body and therefore feel better so it's like you know we always say you can feel better in as little as one breath if you practice that, observe your breathing, you do it, and then you be it. And I think the biggest thing that is like the biggest problem today is when we try to interrupt what the breath is already trying to do. So say, for instance, if you go into an anxiety attack, 
people will go, or this is my experience, oh no, oh no, don't be like this. And then I don't do the breathing and then I stop breathing and then I make it worse. Mm -hmm. But if you allow the breath to do it quite often, you know, that's why people who have really strong anxiety go into hyperventilation is because the breath is trying to balance out the CO2 gases, but then they feel dizzy and then they make, uh, they go, oh, this is weird. I'm going to pass out. Something's wrong. And then they react to it. Like, and this is where psychology mixes with physiology because the physiology is doing its thing. And if the psychology interrupts, it makes meaning of it and makes it worse than what it is, it will be worse. So if you can observe it and then allow the, do the breathing in such a way where you just let it go. So say for instance, an anxiety attack, get into a safe place where you can sit down or lie down and just let the breath do whatever it wants to do. If it wants to hyperventilate, you let it hyperventilate you and then get to the point where you can come into a peaceful breathing rhythm. Again, it's the observe it, do it, and then just be it because the breath already knows what to do. The body already knows how to balance out the gases in the nervous system and, and affect the nervous system if we just get out of the way sometimes. So it, again, it's like, you know, how do you know when to get in the way and when to get out of the way? Well, that comes with practice. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And I love the observe, uh, the, the be observe and do and then be yeah fantastic yep. I love that um so that leads me to my next question in terms of um you know male and female energies do do the different genders have a different approach in terms of their breathing when with their emotional managing emotions or is it simply humans are all the same in that sense but it's a personal experience in terms of how individuals breathe. I'd love to hear your take on that. Mm, that is a really good question. There, is, I, I think ultimately it is a human experience. However, there are subtle differences. So say for instance, in, in women, we bleed once a month. And what happens is you'll have a tendency to become more hypocapnic right before you bleed. And it has to do with the hormone release and it affects it affects how you breathe. So say for instance, you know, that, um, uh, forgive me if I've got it wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's around when the estrogen drops right before the, uh, you get your period. Well, that's where we start um, getting off balance in our blood pH and the CO2, you become more hypercapnic and the hypocapnic. So if you go into a breathing rhythm, that you're not paying attention to, or you try to stop it. So say, for instance, when we're premenstrual, we'll, you know, get however it is expressed for you. But for me, it was, I would get really uptight. I would get really snappy and angry and have no idea why. And usually that was because I was driving myself into a hypocapnic state. And then I was having personality changes and it was being expressed that way. So Shane's like, if you always know it's coming, why can't you do something about it? And I'm like, oh, tuh, you know, good idea. <laughs> so then I realized that when I started timing, I knew when I was going to get it. And that's when I started increasing my, my mindfulness practice or increasing my breathing practice or observing more discreetly and going like, oh, I'm starting to become hypocapnic. All right, let's observe. I've observed it. Now I'm going to do something different with it. And now I could be. And then all of a sudden it, it was like, you know, sometimes I would bleed and go, oh, well, that was really easy. I didn't even, you know, I wasn't even cranky because I learned to manage myself. Now, men do go through cycles as well. So I can't say that 
Um, you know, it is a human thing. I think women are just more expressed, have a tendency to be more expressed as a generalized statement. But men absolutely go through their own cycles. They do have their testosterone um, as it dips, ebbs and flows, you know, throughout their own monthly cycles. And we are human. We are part of nature. We have these cycles. We're meant to have these cycles because we are meant to have times in the month where you just stop and slow down and reassess and go, am I on track? Do I need to do something different? Do I need to let go of something different? And it becomes a very magical time period. So what I do is if I become hypocapnic or if I become cranky or I notice a difference in my personal energy or my moodiness, so to speak, I go, oh, it is time for me to stop, step back and do some reflections here because it's a trigger. It's, a, it's like the body is an expression of the unconscious mind. And it is triggering something in me to go, hello, you need to have a look at something over here. And so if I stop and step back and take a moment to connect with my unconscious and get into a meditative state, then all these ideas come to me and I go, oh, I'm doing this wrong. Oh, I could go like this. And then my perceptions of where I'm at changes and then I can create very different outcomes for myself. So uh, that was a long-winded <laughs> answer. <laughs> no, that was amazing. I love how you said it can create different outcomes, which essentially I what I would think would create uh, a much more stronger, uh, resilient mind in being able to manage one's emotions in that sense. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, it's about doing something different than what you've always done to create something different. Okay, so how does one increase their energy to create this emotional resilience? Mm. Well, <laughs> it's interesting because like we, we, a lot of our clients go to, hey, I need more energy. I need more energy. Well, you do need more energy, but maybe it's more grounded energy rather than, you know, adrenalized, you know, pepping and, and, and getting up and doing it. I think, um, I think if we just honor our cycles and know that there's a time to be on and there's a time to be off, and the magic is knowing when to switch between the two. So to cultivate more energy, we, all, we always look at what can you let go of? So here's a beautiful thing. In um, even like studying Bruce Lipton's work, in a, when a cell is ailing, you look to its environment and create the change in the environment. So if we, as one big conglomerate of cells are ailing, look to the environment. There's an internal environment, there's an external environment. They're all equally as important. I go to the internal one because it's the easiest one to change the fastest without having to move furniture around. <laughs> so, so, you know, so by going to the, looking to my environment, I go, okay, well, if I'm feeling moodiness, it's a trigger for me to do something different. Or if I'm feeling low on energy, it means it's time to rest and recover and to go with the flow of just stop when I need to stop. Because those moments where I adrenalize through it, I do have a crash at the end of it, or I can adrenalize for you know maybe a week, but then after that, it starts taking a hit on me. So what happens is when the, uh, when the body is starting to struggle, all of its energy will go towards its repair systems. So say, for instance, in times of people experiencing chronic fatigue, and I've experienced this, especially with all, all mothers when they have babies experience some sort of chronic fatigue. So even when experiencing that, we are, we're low on energy because the body's trying to repair itself. 
So if you allow the proper timing or supporting the repair of the body, and for us, what we look to is it's not about just, I mean, the breathing is amazing, but it's not just about the breathing. So if we look towards our environment, it's we're part of nature, go outside, get some morning sunlight. It helps charge up the cells of the body. Go out um, for a walk, go for a nature walk, get in cold water, get in uh, the ocean, get in creeks, get in streams, get out, like get out and be in nature. And quite often that will fuel your cells and give you more energy. So yes, while the breathing is very helpful, if you manage yourself really well, but never go outside, you're kind of like going against, still going against nature. So, you know, we do look at uh, other modalities to support uh, being able to boost energy. So even creating energy, I look at the main lever, like if we were to look at breathing specifically as a main lever for, lever for energy, the inhale increases the energy, the exhale decreases the energy. So if you're looking to like, say for instance, right before you, you'll see a lot of you know, speakers right before they go on stage, <laughs> you know, building up the energy, getting in there, getting the, getting into state, you know, and then they go out and they're like, hey, and they deliver like the best speech of their life, right? But that's not useful before going to sleep. <laughs> you know? So then come to the end of the night and you need to go to sleep and you're on this high and you need to chill out. Then it's like, And just by acknowledging the inhale gives you energy, the exhale reduce, takes, lowers the energy, you can then use your breath in any situation, whatever the day brings you from waking up in the morning to getting through the afternoon slump without having to have six cups of coffee to get you through the day, <laughs> which leaves you fatigued adrenally anyway and difficult to sleep. So, you know, it's the most natural way of managing the ups and downs of life. I love that in terms of, you know, increasing energy and decreasing energy with your breath, because um, that can cross correlate in any uh, contextual area from business to health to sports performance to whatever that might be. Um, so bringing this back to business, I'd love to hear some examples in terms of your experience with clients, um, what you have seen in terms of the main disconnect between breath and how it, it's actually affected business activity for some individuals. Mm. Well, if you also, if I take you back to the, if you're chronically hypocapnic, your body is chronically struggling if you have this perception of you're chronically struggling, you're gonna make different decisions. So, you know, say for instance, you'll, you'll look at, <laughs> we, we look at whenever there's a, uh, an issue or a problem in business, we always go, oh, what a wonderful opportunity to do something different here, you know? So it's like, you kind of start to change your perceptions instead of going, oh, here it is again. You know, I can't tell you how many funnels I have built and they have failed, you know? <laughs> and I said, you know, there's been times where I've said to Shane, I'm like, I don't want to build another funnel, <laughs> you know? So it's like, you know, you can, you can go and live into that or you can go, all right, what can I do differently this time? Take yourself out of business as usual. I think this is the most important thing that I've experienced for me and what we, why our clients love meeting with us for sessions is because what, is it, what it's doing is it's taking them out of business as usual, putting them into a different mental state. 
And when you can get into a breathing practice that creates a different mental state, we call it clearing the cache. So if you think of like, uh, you know, the computer and trying to do searches and once it like the caches build up, it starts operating really slow and glitchy. And then it's almost like it's struggling and you've got to power down your computer and restart it. Or you have to go in and empty your caches. It is the same thing for the human software. So this is the opportunity where you get to stop and clear the cache of the scrambled human software, be able to view things from a very different perspective. And when you can kind of like empty out the clutter, you then can start seeing things from a different perspective of like, say for instance, for me, I was about ready to go build a whole entire new funnel and go, no, I'm going to force this. This is going to work. I'm going to do it. And what I realized during one of my sessions is I'm like, that's actually a funnel to a product that doesn't actually suit our ideal clients. So that's going to be a waste of time if I do all of that. And I actually canned the project and was like, we're going to not do it. And we're going to, and, and let's talk about it. And so we do, you know, we sit, uh, sit and um, have a, a whole company debrief and go, this is why we're not going to do this project. And then we're going to go back to the drawing board. And Shannon and I took, you know, pretty much January, February, March to go back to the drawing board and go, this is actually not serving our clients. Let's redo this. And now we're about ready to release something that is going to serve our clients based on actual interviews that I've had with people. And, you know, so it's like, but if I was in that adrenal force it, just get it done, make it happen, rah, 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 it would have eaten up more of my energy. And by canning the project, taking a little bit of extra time, we're now going to take the second half of the year as more of a momentum process because we took that, that time to do the critical thinking, to not do the thing that wasn't going to work you know does that make sense so it's just kind of like being able mm. to to I, th I think the biggest thing is in the breathing if you can teach yourself to let go in the breathing you can teach yourself to let go of a lot of different things in life so one of the practices that we do is it is the size it is a letting go process. We usually do it at the end of a very stressful day. So why not do it in the beginning of a stressful day? <laughs> why, why not do it in the beginning of a stressful day and then don't have the perceived stress throughout the day <laughs> and then be able to make uh, a different decision that is going to take you in a different direction that maybe may not eat up so much energy. Love it. There's some key points in there. You mentioned um, critical thinking. It allows you to critically think about something. So it gives you that clarity to be able to make better choices and outcomes. And, you know, the sigh at the beginning of the day can prevent a consumption of energy throughout the day. So that's some really great key points in there. I love it. Love it. Mm -hmm. So Angie, tell me, what is, what was your biggest turning point with using breathing to transform you, just you as an individual? Mm, yeah. Uh, for me, it was, we did, we do these some um, transformational sessions that go for about an hour to an hour and a half. And I reckon I had one that went up to three hours one time <laughs> because there was so much energy just surging through my body and, and, and I was, I was just processing it. Um, after about between 10 or 15 of those, I had moved so much energy around in my body. I felt like a completely different person and it was back to that story of us like putting myself through these experiences that are uncomfortable and sometimes I felt like I couldn't do it and I cried I laughed 
I screamed, you know, like I went through a whole like hero's journey of life through these sessions. But on the other side of it, it was like, I got to express my frustration. I got to let out my fears. I got to let out my sadness. I got to release the guilt that was held in my body. And I didn't have to have a story that went along with it. It's all in the unconscious which is all in the body. So however, it, whatever the triggers are in the body, you know, like say for instance, giving birth, um, you know, going through birth is a trauma for both baby and mommy. So in those sessions, I felt like I was healing a lot of those traumas, you know, breathing um, into the abdomen, which is around the uterus and creating, inner, creating detox, creating oxygen flow, you know, playing with the gases and, and then having an experience around all of that. I actually felt that I was able to release energy that I was holding onto that could have, that I, I, I thought I had to live with chronic neck pain. You know, and it was like, well, unconsciously, who's the pain in the neck here, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and or stabbing back pain. Oh, where do I feel like I'm being stabbed in the back? So whatever, whatever ailment was coming up in my body was an emotion I was holding on to. And when I was doing these longer breathing sessions, it was allowing me to, to release the tension in the body. So the big thing with the CO2 and O2 is that if you're chronically hypocapnic, and you're holding on, um, you don't have enough CO2 to allow oxygen to flow, you create tension in the body. And like technical term is ischemia, where a lot of our clients who have had chronic pain because they're chronically hypocapnic. So what I found is I was the same way. By being pregnant, I couldn't hardly breathe. I was trying to breathe. And then over nine months, well, you know, the last sort of trimester, you know, not breathing very well. I have the baby and I'm still not breathing very well because I developed the habit of not breathing very well. So by then doing these longer breathing sessions, I'm reprogramming that I can breathe deeper. I can breathe into all these spaces. I can experience um, more oxygen flow to my organs and to the tissues of my body and therefore coming out on the other side, releasing tension from my body. And once I was releasing, releasing tension from my body, my emotional tension got released and my perceived tension got released. So I would say that that is probably the biggest thing for me. Now, those were like biggest sort of like experiences there, but we always look at how we can take what we learn off the mat and into everyday life. Mm. And that's where I was noticing where I was chronically holding my breath or where I was, where else am I experiencing breathing dysfunctions? There's sometimes where I come into the house and all of a sudden I don't breathe as much because I'm like, you know, in four walls. But when I go outside, I breathe so much better. So I'm a lot happier outside. So it's like, oh, okay, well, if I, if that's a habit, unconscious habit, I can walk inside the house and go, I can breathe in here because, you know, the perception of not being able to breathe is a habit that I can consciously break. So that's where the, again, coming back to the observing and the doing and then allowing yourself to be. So you, there, the, for me, it was those two scenarios, the, the bigger transformational session, but then also being able to carry that in everyday life. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and I think that building that awareness to have that observation would be maybe a starting point for a lot of individuals do you think yeah I think it is the critical uh, first step is the awareness 
uh, even, you know, we are uh, in a lot of our experiences. It's funny. We had a client who was very reactive and would go through team members. And when they started working with us, they're like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how reactive I am and why I'm, I keep losing all of my team members. So they started doing something different. They started communicating that, hey, I've got this thing that I do. Please, you know, like just bear with me while I work through it, you know? And if you can have that human experience with your team members and, you know, whether it's your home team or your work team, you know, you can start working through together. I think, I think if we just, connect with the the fact that we are all human and that we are all dealing with our own stuff in our own different ways and being able to communicate that but still being able to take responsibility for yourself to create the change I think this would be a very different world to live in absolutely yeah absolutely and I think even um, in current times at the moment where people are experiencing much more uh, in their environment let's say more prevalent stress and reactivities you know, um, taking and adopting those uh, key things that you just mentioned just now. Yeah, well, and and the biggest thing, and I'm glad you said that because I think that right now, especially there's the speed of change is overwhelming for people and the amount of control that's happening around us, people trying to control, you know, being able to go outside, (laughs) you know, or not, you know, it, it can trigger the it can trigger something emotionally in us and then it goes into the physiology and then the physiology that's where you can reprogram it so i always look at you know how can i what can i let go of because the only thing i can control is me so if i'm reacting to something else outside of me some other sort of control then what can i do to let it go and in our house it's so funny like you know our our cleaner will come and they'll hear us going <sighs> you know, because it's like we are constantly letting go of stuff. And this is where like the analogy of being on a boat on a river, there is a time to put the oars in the boat and let the river take you. And then there is a time to put the oars in the water and row your ass off. So it's knowing it's about knowing when to do what, you know, it's that going, going with the flow. So it's like, for me, I do put a lot of trust in in the unknown because I think I've built that trust and confidence within myself over the years of of a breathing practice that whenever there's an obstacle or something that comes at me it's like I got this and if I don't got it 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 I got it you know (laughs) because it's just like there is a there's a there's a big there's a bigger plan for everything and if I step back and get out of the way (laughs) I would probably say it's that observe And then it's the do, and then it's the be. So, you know, say for instance, you know, we're, we had a a shift in products. So that was my observation and now I'm doing it, implementing it, but then there's a time to just be, and just kind of like sit back and go, okay, well, let's take back, take the feedback, watch the metrics, what's the results in, in, and then reassess or analyze from there. And, you know, so it kind of, it does kind of carry around, but if I can bring it all back into, uh, me as a person, uh, it is, if I can manage myself, then I can manage anything. So by using the breathing to manage myself, it's like, it doesn't matter what comes at me. I got it. (laughs) 
Fantastic. It might be a process, but I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Having that certainty and volition within your own self definitely um, gives you the confidence to take on anything that comes at mm. you, I think. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I think that's where we can dare to think bigger. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me, Angie, what is a resource that you can actually offer the listeners so they can create a mindset of resilience through breath work? Mm. That is so good. So today, actually, we just released our seven day wellness challenge. And all it is, is it's bringing six minutes of, of, of intentional breathing in the morning, six minutes in the evening for seven days. And what that does is it brings your awareness and attention to your breathing. If you book into your day with breathing, you wake up doing it and you go to sleep doing it. Then you start taking notice of all the breathing in between as well. And that's where we always uh, say, just start, just book in your day for seven days and see how you go. And if you feel like you're ready to explore more of the foundations of what you can do. So that way, when you are in a stressful situation, you know how to do the breathing to then be the breathing. How can people connect with you if they want to learn more about Breathe Me or any other things that you uh can help people with? Mm. Well, the best place, well, two places, one is breatheme.com. That's breathe with an E. <laughs> breatheme.com is the best place. We are always updating it and putting um, podcasts up there as well as blogs. Uh, but also I would recommend the Breathing Edge Facebook group. And we release um, tutorial videos. We have breathe, free breathing videos in there. Anybody who has questions about what struggles they are experiencing in their breathing from sleep apnea to anxiety, you know, we do tutorials on those as well. So there's a, there's an abundance of information inside the group as well. Fantastic. And any final words for the listeners um, that can leave them with some uh, insight for today? Observe, do, and be. Thank you so much, Angie. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you today. And I, I trust that the listeners have gotten some great value. Mm, thank you. And I, I think one more thing is, you know, how can you breathe in such a way that creates heaven on earth? Thanks for listening to the Think Tank podcast. I'm your host, Maria Van Viglis. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with guest Angelina Saunas from Breathe Me with a little reminder to stop and just breathe. As always, you can head over to mariavanvuclis.com to sign up to my email list, as well as check out the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode. Till next time, be empowered.